Let's be grateful. Dear Lord God, we are very thankful for the company we have, the joy that we have in catching up with fellow believers for merely a week's absence or many months, just the, the sense of the family we have in your son. We'd ask that you would bless us continually with this fellowship wherever we go. We'd ask that you'd bless our time in your word as well. In your son's name, amen. Well, we're in Philippians. Philippians 3, beginning verse. And I want to, I try to tell you, I don't want to, that passage about doing nothing from guile or deceit sort of always registers with me because I see so many men of the cloth laboring to improve their guile and deceit. I always try to maybe over-inform you about what I was up to when I was preparing the sermon, you know. How many beers? I was looking at Philippians 3. And of course you all know that Philippians 4 passage of rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4. Because then talks about anxiety and peace and the like. But I was looking earlier and I noticed at the beginning of chapter 3, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord. That is the first verse of chapter 3. And I said, you know, and he goes through a whole bunch of stuff then, through chapter 3, first verses of chapter 4, and then he says it again. So I thought, you know, you'll know because your sermon notes, that verse, rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 3, 1, and 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, is at the end. So that's going to bracket us today. In some way, in Paul's mind, that admonition, if you want to call it that, rejoice in the Lord, is a some kind of anchor in our minds regarding what he's talking about in between. Now, he says at the rest of chapter 3, verse 1, to write the same things to you is not irksome to me, and it is safe for you. I've let you know that not only does he repeat himself over the course of a chapter, first verse, the last verse of the sermon anyway, but he doesn't mind repeating himself. Well, he already told us to rejoice in the Lord in 3.1. Why does he need to tell us in 4.4? Well, because it's not hard to do, and it's safe for you. To repeat ourselves, and this is one thing that you know, pastors struggle with. They, I was, somebody was telling me about how many times he had heard a certain parable preached in his home church. I'm going, how long were you at that church? That he would hear the same passage over and over again. Well, I begin to realize, you know, as a pastor, you, you keep going back. You find yourself having to guard yourself against covering too much of the same thing. You want people to be able to have, have come close to as much of the counsel of God as they can. But when we do repeat ourselves, it's not difficult. 
especially when it's about this. We're not trying to teach you theology. We're not trying to teach you the All Souls version of religion. There's a reason it's not irksome, and there's a reason it is safe. Now, it's not safe merely because it isn't irksome and you're at church and you're hearing a pastor talk. I, again, have a dim view of pastors. I have a dim view of the church. I have a dim view of a lot of things, yeah, mostly. It's not that we get to do this and you're always going to be blessed. It's not always safe. Look at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil workers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He said, my gosh, how much coffee did you have this morning? Say, Paul. These are not merely, this is not a passage against dog ownership. This is not a passage of staying away from bad people. This is staying away from a certain bad sort of person. Those who mutilate the flesh. This is the circumcision party. These are the Judaizers. These are the Christians, some. Fake Christians, others. Who are trying to blend Jewish legal observance with Christianity. May their names be blotted out. As St. Paul suggests in Galatians. So look out for these. Look out for the dogs, the evil workers, those who mutilate the flesh. 4, verse 3, we are the true circumcision. We are the true circumcision. Who worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, if you've come to All Souls for any length of time, you know that Evans all gets all Anabaptist about things and gets all, you know, let's just have a spontaneous walk with the Lord. Uh, yeah, I, I, not, it's not liturgical. Uh, I generally will talk to you in my home, in my library, the exact same way I am talking this morning. There's no unction to my voice other than the unction of my own ego. You know we don't play. We're always warning you about playing religion. It's dangerous when you have pews. It's dangerous when you have pointy windows. Because play religion has beset Christendom for 2,000 years, and it is hellacious. Because the true circumcision worships God in spirit, glories in Christ Jesus, and puts no, got this, confidence in the flesh. Now, here's a, here's, but here's a subtle way we could, we could err in this. You say, Evan, you've been against that. We've heard this. Come on, let us up. We understand we wouldn't be here. If we wanted religion, we'd go to some other church. You know, a little boy with a little robe swinging a censer of incense. We got little boys. We could do that. Little uh, Ezra could be a little altar boy or something like that. 
Not really, Ezra, don't you worry. We will not bother you with religion. This church, because it has been pastored by a radical Anabaptist for so many years, 24 years, um, you kind of got that figured out. But don't think that play physical religion is answered by having a religion that is against play physical religion. That's not the opposite. The denial of the thing. We're not in a. There's as much play physical religion in a group that formally has as its tenet the denial of play physical religion. You have just played physical religion. The real opposition of play physical religion is glorying in Christ Jesus, worshiping God in the spirit, and putting no confidence in the flesh. Rejoice in the Lord, in other words. You wouldn't have as much trouble with Christians fighting over their different ideas of church order and I'm big on this lately because I've been reading some books in which that seemed to be their full-time job of Christians, putting to death. Jake and I were talking about it before church, how actually some of the great saints of old that we name our denominations after spent their free time killing other Christians, killing them dead. And nobody seemed to notice it. Nobody, I mean, the dead guy kind of objected, but he, he didn't actually object that strenuously. Sometimes they'd make great speeches tied to the stake or getting their head cut off or, or some such thing. But people who claim, do you know how recently Christianity was like ISIS? How recently? Not that long ago. Cutting the necks and throats of people. And we go, oh my gosh, look at how these Muslims are doing this. Now, excuse me, you wicked hypocrites. Not you guys. I don't expect you guys to be cutting off heads of people. But Christians claim to be Christians did it a lot. And the reason they did it a lot is because religion always is a target for those who want to exercise a temporal power over spiritual things. And when the Christians do not have the rejoicing in the Lord, they are not glorying in Christ Jesus, they will be tempted to put confidence in the flesh. The denomination you belong to, the people group you belong to, the liturgies you undergo, partake in, the rituals, you will start to put confidence in the flesh because you need to start playing because you don't have the rejoicing. I'm, I've known a lot of dear Christians of a variety of different backgrounds, theologically and uh, ecclesiastically, and we've had great fellowship if ever they are rejoicing in the Lord because they really don't need any aspect of their Anglican, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, charismatic 
physicality to be their religious life for them. They don't even need that. This has a happenstance. And those things have to exist. Those things have to exist. I mean, Paul, look, you say, you know, somebody says, Evan, you're against ritual, but you do have, look, you have a center aisle, and at the beginning of the service, you walk down here, and you pick a hymn, and you talk to the pianist. I'm married to her, so it's okay. And, I, and we then we have requested hymns. That just happens to be your low church ritual. Yeah, stuff's going to happen. Buildings are going to get built. You're going to enjoy having pointed windows. You're going to, whatever you do, you're going to have this stuff. I mean, Paul argues here in verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Paul's not saying, hey, I have run away and denied everything that is of the flesh in my life. If any other man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Matter of fact, he's better than you. I have more confidence in the flesh. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But he wasn't a Scot. But who can be? He's not saying that I, I, I've got to avoid, because the opposite of play religion is not trying to unplay physicality. It's not trying not to have, you're going to get yourself into kind of some sort of bizarre philosophical trouble if you try to unreligion everything about Christianity. If you, <laughs> if you try to not have a meeting house. Uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the Plymouth Brethren, anybody Plymouth Brethren back there? You know, they don't have pastors in Plymouth Brethren. And uh, they'll sit against the wall in many meetings, and sometimes it's a you know, more closed meeting, sometimes open, depends what kind of brethren it is. And, but then men of the church just get up and talk. Now, oddly enough, they end up being the same guys from Sunday after Sunday. But, you know, they, they are pretending that they're not having this. And we could easily, as a church, because we have this tradition of not being traditional, we could really assert the tradition of not being traditional. It's going to happen. Except, if you like an Anglican service, God bless you. If you like a Baptist service, God bless you. But put no confidence in it. You know your faith is in the wrong place if you've put confidence in what you're doing religiously. You know that you're worshiping God in spirit and you're glorying in Christ Jesus. If the rejoicing of that experience is, is front and center, fills your windshield, that's where it is. But you're going to want to have confidence. You're going to want to have that superiority of the way you do it, the way you sing it, what you sing. Oh, we could have a real easy temptation here. Oh, because we, we don't want to, you know, I, I'm familiar enough with what's going on in Christian circles that I have a lot of boogeymen out there that I could go, oh, look at that. But look at us. We sing hymns. Because I like them. Okay? Now we sing the hymns you like, and sometimes you don't request one I like. Or even I object to theologically. 
But other people might look at our church as how they just think they're so special. They sing hymns. In some churches, my daughter is a worship leader in Portland, and she always feels a little guilty because she knows her parents sing hymns. And at her church, it's all that bass thumping, you know, rocking out sort of a... We could get easily caught up in what we... You're going to do something. You're going to get together with other believers because you love them, and you're going to have to do something to organize the time. Ah, a liturgy, 9.30. That's your liturgical start time. And then, how does the pastor get to the front? Well, he, can he walk up the side steps? Yeah, he could. But that becomes your... You've got to do something. But we put no confidence in the flesh. As soon as you think that some of your religious confidence is in what you just did, going to church even. Now, I don't want to foul my own nest here. I mean, I, I'm a pastor, for heaven's sake. I'm not. And I'd like to see more people here than are here because we've got all these empty pews. But if you're going to church because it gives you a sense of confidence to say, to your parents, I went to church Sunday because you know they'll buy into the notion that there's confidence in the flesh. I have this quote from 1 Corinthians 7 here on the left hand side. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. When we put confidence in the flesh, when the religion, the play, the physicality of it starts to become the thing, we, we're, we're subtly deceived into thinking that the opposite of the thing they do Oh, they do bad stuff because they're playing at religion. They're liturgical. They're high church. So we're low church. Is that where your confidence is? Or is it in the rejoicing you have in glorying in Christ? Paul, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now this is where you avoid play religion. You don't have a view against play religion. You have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake, glorying in him. Verse 8, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Is that how you think of it? What if the, the winds of religious fate swung through this town and all of you became, God help you, Calvinists and you all went away to another church because I'm not a Calvinist. And this church, broken, sitting here on the front step, weeping. My wife would, I hope, still be here. Who knows where my children would be. But of course, my wife can't give enough money to keep the church. We have to sell the building. And off I go into the wilderness 
you got to check with those kind of thoughts. Not because you expect that all of you guys are going to become Calvinists. Maybe some of you already are. You just like it here better because it was decreed that you came here. You've got to be ready to lose all of that because the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ is not this building. I really like this building. What a blessing it has been for the last seven years this December. What a, what a gift. But it ain't religion. It ain't Christianity. And, you, and, and so subtly, the evil one or whatever temptations exist in your mind can tempt you to set Christ in your life off to the side a little more and move what the church is doing in your life to the center. Asking you to put a little confidence in what we do at all souls. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse. Your opposition is with physicality and the confidence it's supposed to bring. That you can't avoid the physicality, so it's going to tempt you on one end of it or another. Or gaining Christ. I counted all as refuge in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You're going to want to go home and read that verse again. To gain Christ, be found in him, where is your faith? Is your faith in the physical acts of the church? The physical deeds that you repeatedly do? And you finally have gotten to the place that, yes, for most Sundays, you're at All Souls Christian. Sitting in your pew. To the point where people think of it as your pew. There have been some who have asked to have their nameplates put on the end. They get dibs, show up late with coffee from the co-op, the house of Baal. You might have been, people think I've, I've really reached a place of real spiritual establishment. I make it to church pretty much every Sunday. Is the righteousness of God in you because of faith? May know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's the description of the faith that is supposed to be in you. It is not an antagonism to the physical. Paul had the physical in his own life in spades. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was well educated. He was the people of Israel. You are who you are. I am a Scot. Which are better than the rest of you, by the way. Because we're, you know, proud people. We're a proud people. We've all can't, we can't dodge the fit. We're not monks. We're not going to try to get escape the flesh. We're just going to put no confidence in it. It's going to be in my life that I have this church building, that I have these pews, I have a microphone, we have a, a, a piano, we like to sing hymns, we favor the Scots. What else? It exists 
But the life in Christ is to know him, the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Because it's righteousness that God wants from you. He doesn't want a bunch of prissy pretend people. He doesn't want a bunch of posers. He doesn't want a, you to look like your St. Francis. In my case, G.K. Chesterton. He was a big man. But he was a ruddy papist. Now, what are you measuring for your walk? Because it's a lot easier, frankly, a lot easier to play religion and measure that. Are you at services enough? Have you done confession? Whatever it is, whatever religious tradition you're from, have you done all the stuff? Well, the description that Paul gives of the life, the righteousness from God that depends on faith there in verse 9, that is what is about Christ. I'm supposed to be worshiping God in spirit, glorying in Christ Jesus, and putting no confidence in the flesh. I'm supposed to actually have a guard up against this fleshly thing because you can look at 2,000 years of Christianity and say, what was the problem? Why were they killing other Christians? It's because they had put so much confidence in the flesh, they mistook their way of doing it with the way of God, and if someone didn't do it that way, they needed to die. Really? Say, say, someone differed with me, say, some, I can't imagine how that could be, you know, possible, but say one of you said, I don't think Evan's right on this view of church liturgy and stuff. You raise your hand, Evan, I think you're wrong, and I had bailiff kill that man. And they did. They killed somebody I wanted killed because I didn't agree with him. People were starting to put so much confidence. It mattered to them. What kind of church order? The religious wars in the 1600s in England were over which kind of church government? Prelacy or Presbyterian? Thousands died. And that's just on the field of battle. Something wrong with people? Yes, something wrong with them. They have decided that they were going to put confidence in the flesh. They were not going to glory in Christ Jesus. Oh, you can read their writings, and they will talk about all of that, but they won't live like all of that. Their life confidence, the way they are, what you live is what you believe. Not what you say, what you live is what you believe. Now, you might not think that holiness, knowing Christ Jesus your Lord, glorying in him, sharing in his sufferings, is some kind of a piety. You know, it's not a, not a, you're kind of a little afraid of the piety thing, you know, that, that, um, Okay, there are religion, Christian religious people of this sort and Christian religious people of that sort. Then there are the people that, oh, you know they're holy. It's the kind of the club that everybody knows and admires, but nobody wants to join. 
because piety means that you're going to be living life by faith in the Son of God. You're going to believe what Jesus Christ and his holy apostles said just because they said it. You're just going to believe it. You're not going to adjust it. You're not going to become a neo-feminist. You're not going to become a neo this, that, or the other thing, explaining away how the Bible doesn't mean this or doesn't mean that. You're just going to believe what you're told. And that can really upset life. So I warn you, just a you know, full disclosure, basically. People don't think you can be this way. But it says here in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. And Paul is telling you, what a wonderful life ahead of you you should be having. I should not be putting confidence in the flesh. I should be drawing close to Christ. My joy is in the Lord. Not my joy is in the religion we crafted to look like Christianity. He said, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the question you have to ask yourself. Has Christ made you his own? If so, like Paul, this glorious arrangement of piety and holiness, rejoicing in the Son of God, and not rejoicing in the religion you craft around it, but rejoicing just because you, you, not us, not we, not the group and the decisions we could come to about what we're going to do next to win the souls for Christ on campus or in the town, none of that. You know, those things are all things that can happen later on. You are in Christ. So I'm going to press on to make it my own. Did you come to Christ because you sought God? You knew you needed God. You knew that you were a bohunkus. You knew you were a complete idiot. Not you were a wonderful person that got himself into some problems and you needed God to get you out of them. No, because you're a rotten and reasonably stupid individual. You needed to realize how wicked you were. You found Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I'm an idiot. You are God. Forgive me for my sins. If he made you his own, pressing on to make this experience in Christ your own is what St. Paul was about. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, verse 13, but one thing I do. You say, well, I don't think I'm like the Evan. I don't you think, you know, you're recommending something that I can't even picture. I don't even know people like this. Okay. Why don't you become the one that other people could know? But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some parsing of that sentence needs to be. One thing you do, you say, if I haven't been this, and I have been this poser of religious principles or looking like I'm kind of into Christianity because of the things I do, I forget that and turn toward this. Pushing, straining. You see in that, they have a CrossFit place over on Troy Highway now. I'm not, I don't go there. 
case you were wondering. Anybody at the CrossFit here? Before I abuse it, Maya? Well, these people, they're into, they're into it. And they, I mean, they, uh, they strain, the word of the week can brought this to mind, straining forward to what lies ahead. That would be CrossFit. I think their muscles explode, you know. But you understand what it is, right? You understand what it takes. You know why you don't join the gym, just a regular gym, is because you know you're kind of probably not going to show up and you're going to have a membership and you won't ever go there. Do you understand what it is to strain forward to what lies ahead? Or you, or you don't sure, and it's not about getting more involved in this church or any church. Because you've got to remember, you can't put any confidence in the flesh. If you think that participation is your religious participation, your participation in this is glorying in Christ Jesus. Do you even know what the phrase means? Because the goal is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what the goal is. Upward call. It's higher. And then it's kind of verse 15. Let those of us who are mature be thus minded. Oh, just pulled the adult card on you. This is for grown-ups. Oh yeah, you know what young churches are like. Young people. What does it say about elders? Do not appoint a novice, or they may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the snare of the devil. That's what young people, you know, I remember being in a youth group. This is back in the Bronze Age the early 70s, late 60s. And uh, oh, the things we thought we knew. Oh, this was going to be the new church. We had a Jesus people thing going on. What's grown-up Christianity like? It's not serious devotion to the church. Jesus Christ isn't the church. A serious devotion to Christ and following his upward call. Now there's toleration for you. You say, well, I don't like your attitude. <laughs> what are you going to do? Fire me? There's not even a committee that could, you know, we don't have committees. We have so efficiently run this church. Ever tell anybody, this, this church has been a church for 24 years and we don't have any government. Brian and I had a little government meeting during the break. Hey, you want to do pray about this next week? Okay. That was it. That was the government. We don't ask that suddenly everybody understand this shape, the shape of things. One, Paul says, I haven't obtained what I'm supposed to be, and I'm pushing on to make it my own. You haven't obtained what you ought to be. We are pursuing Jesus Christ. 
Not religion, not play, not physicality. We're not trusting in the flesh, the things that we can arrive at, the institutions we can craft. And that's what maturity is all about. But then he has this tolerant remark, and if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal that also to you. If you don't think this way, we're patient. You'll grow up. God will eventually reach you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Keep the maturity you have gained. But understand you're going on to a mature faith that is a faith that you have, that's your encounter with Jesus Christ. We want to have a church. You say, what do you want as a church? I would like to have a church where every kind of Christian, that's why it's called All Souls, every kind of Christian, because none of us are putting faith in the fact that I was raised a Southern Baptist. I can fellowship with the Lutheran and fellowship with the Anglican and fellowship with the Charismatic fully without them having to agree. Because if they have Jesus Christ filling their windshield, and I do, that would be mature Christianity. So then he says something odd. Brethren, verse 17, join in imitating me. And mark those who so live as you have an example in us. Imitate the imitators of me. Now, how does how does that is that different from playing religion? Does that seem a little hold it? You want me to imitate somebody who imitates you? Isn't that exactly you know you just see and people wandering around with monks' robes on and hoods and singing chants and they're trying to play the religion they think is, ooh, this is really spiritual because somebody in the Middle Ages did this. Oh, did they really? But here's Paul saying, imitate the imitators. Now he's doing that as a distinction between himself and the others. Imitate me and mark those who imitate me and imitate them. Okay? The important thing, it was not the imitation, but that it was Paul. You're not just looking at tradition, you're looking at apostolic. And no, not because the people who seized power a long time ago got to claim the word apostolic. When you hear the phrase apostolic fathers, do not, for one moment, believe them. It was just, they got onto the deck first, they said, okay, we're the apostolic fathers. Thank you. We're the people that kind of knew kind of the apostles, or knew somebody who knew the apostles. That doesn't mean they knew what they were talking about. Read their stuff, yeah. Find out if they agreed with St. Paul. I mark those that agree with Paul. I don't mark them because they lived in the same century as Paul. Paul was dealing with those guys. There were false teachers in the first century church. False teachers in the church. For many, verse 18, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's not talking about the sinners down at John's Alley. He's talking about the physical religionists. The circumcision party. People who are trying to manipulate people for money in their religious circumstance. Their minds set on earthly things. Power, sex, pleasure, beauty. All things that are God-given. But when you point your religion at them, rather than the upward call of God, you are... um, at odds with Paul. And he wants you to choose between these two worlds in your imitation. Some live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why don't you look at me and look at those who look at me? Do you believe the apostles? Is your faith in what the apostles said? Ever read in Christian histories someone you finally realize is Man, that guy's a Christian. <laughs> that guy's, that's a saint right there. He was actually living like Christ commanded. When everybody else was, you know, acting all ISIS. And I have to admit, the Scots, we're the worst. We don't play well with others. You make us religious, we, we just find a way to kill you for it. But there have been some saints. They usually got horribly killed. But they were saints. But our commonwealth, verse 20, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, when you think of all, all imitation play, or is if I imitate those who believed in the real. I could turn the doctrine of being Godward into a plaything that had all the right terminology that looked like you were doing the right thing because you operate on the physical level. But Paul's life was your relationship with Christ is real. Press on to it. Forget what lies behind. You cannot imitate Paul and be a fake Christian. Okay? Because Paul's position was the real experience of a man or a woman with Jesus Christ. I can only imitate those who offer me something physical to imitate. Memorizing scriptures or doing a fast at this time of year or whatever. And again, memorize the scripture. Fast. Knock yourself out. But put no confidence in those things. They are not the gospel. They are not Jesus Christ. They're not, you know, anti-Christianity. They're just not Christianity. He will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now the problem is, this is in, I'm, I'm preaching this sermon in the church, and I've already, you know, tried to, 
I don't want you to think, oh, Evan's so very aware of this. He's always warning us about the pointy windows. And your eyes are looking at scans. You know, go, maybe we can try to get some, just some picture windows in here. Let's get rid of this temptation to the flesh. Because what, what's, what's the church, what are we doing here? Somebody asked that the other night at, I think it was Wine, Wisdom, and Song, or in some conversation. Why do we, what's the church for? Why do we need the church? Why do you, why are you here? Each one of you is here. Some inertial force got you out of bed on a Sunday. Some of them late. Others on time. You go sing some dead old hymns and listen to a guy talk to you for 40 minutes. Why are you here? Now, some of you here are here because this is Religion Theater 101. And Religion Theater, we've got not just the backdrop, we've got the windows, we've got the right musical track. Um, if we were more liturgical, you'd be knowing what you were supposed to be saying as you genuflected and bobbed up and down, went down to the kneeling rail, whatever you were doing. It gives you a sense that not only is, I'm, just, I'm not making up our physical religion, we're all making it up together. And we're making it up, not just together in some church in North Idaho, but the more orthodox this church is, the more we know that for 2,000 years we've been doing it this way. Then he crosses up. I don't mind if you cross yourself. I don't mind if you, you say, Evan, how much do you not? I don't mind if you sit there with the rosary beads. Counting them off. I'd be watch out for you, maybe. I'll let my daughter marry you. But if we put confidence in it, and we sometimes think of even a church that has been trying to stand against this for decades, it still can happen to us. Do you want to know those who are rejoicing in your Christ? You have met Christ. You are worshiping him in spirit. You don't put any confidence in the flesh. It's all your faith in God's grace. And they met in you. And you're wondering, you're kind of a little jumpy. And you heard that there are other people who have experienced this. And these are those other people. We're here because we love the brethren. We've got to do something with our time. Then you get to go home. But you're here because you love the brethren. And we want to be the kind of church that's drawn together by these two admonitions at Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We, we want this to be not hard to fight off the physicality of play religion. Remember, play religion is kind of teenage. It's kind of young. We have a true and living God. And to gain him, to be found in him, having a righteousness not of our own, but through faith in Christ. That's what we have to have. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let's thank God.
Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Touch us each with the right kind of pursuit of your Son and pursuit of the things that you have before us, each of us, and draw us back together each time we meet with uh, greater joy. Keep us from being fake. In your Son's name, amen.